Hello, Servus from Munich. This is Thorsten speaking. Welcome back to the Hightech Ventures podcast. This episode is with Silvio Bonaccio, who is heading the tech transfer office at ETH Zurich. The ETH Zurich is one of the most famous, renowned and successful universities on many dimensions. On the one hand, they are excellent in doing research, the brightest minds are studying there, and at the same time they are very successful in building spin-offs. Silvio will share with us the magic formula of ETH in building spin-offs, and for him it's all about the right people. Excellent researchers and entrepreneurial minds as well, who are eager to create impact for society. He's also diving deep into deal structures at ETH, his opinion on standardization of those processes and why he thinks that having the right expectation management and transparency is key for successful technology transfer. I have benefited a lot and learned a lot from my conversation with Silvio and you will as well. Let's enjoy the next episode. Hello Silvio, welcome to the Hightech Ventures podcast. First of all, it's great seeing you again um, and uh, I'm looking forward to our conversation today in this podcast. Um, great to have you. Hello Thorsten, thank you very much for the invitation. Excellent uh, talking to you again. Um, thank you for inviting me here. My pleasure. And before we dive deep into the topic of technology transfer and how to build great deep tech startups and spin-offs, First of all, I would like to understand A, or maybe also the audience would like to understand your background. Uh, and I would like to understand what motivates you on an everyday basis to work in this role of a technology transfer officer. Yeah, glad to so, uh, uh, do so, uh, Thorsten. So very short bio. I'm, I'm a chemist by training. I, I um, uh, studied chemistry at uh, ETH Zurich. This is Federal Institute of Technology, uh, Zurich in Switzerland. I did a PhD, but uh, left the scientific community after the PhD, joining a Nestle food company, touring, touring the world uh, quite a few years with Nestle. And then uh, came back, I think in 2001, uh, back to Switzerland. And by chance, uh, ran into my uh, former alma mater, so the ETH Zurich, and uh, was given the opportunity to enter into technology transfer. And uh, a few years later, to kind of establish a more professionalized unit, uh, which I'm heading since 2005. Perfect. So uh, this is the role you're currently in. And uh, again, what, what is your personal motivation, like every day working in this role? Actually, I, when, when I came back to the ETH Zurich, I, I thought it was a transient thing. But uh, it, it kept me so motivated uh, for, for various reasons. First of all, um, you know, working for such a um, regarded, highly regarded uh, institution is just uh, you know, a fantastic thing to do. Uh, you, every day you meet uh, fantastic, fascinating people, researchers, um, students, just brilliant minds uh, all over the place. And then thirdly, uh, we have also a fantastic team Uh, that just keeps me driving and motivated uh, to come uh, to the to the institution every day. Though you know, in the last two years uh, we met more in 2D, but we are all longing to see each other in 3D again. Hopefully, very very soon again. That's great to hear. So a lot about the people and the smart minds you're meeting on an everyday basis. I think that is the beauty of uh, any research organization that you have all the, the, the great minds. At the same time, uh, here comes the challenge that uh, working with them on entrepreneurial projects is sometimes then a difficulty. But we, we will reveal that today, uh, how you do that, because, and this is my personal aim also for this episode today, I would like to understand this magic formula at ETH Zurich how you build all the this great spin-offs because uh, you are leading uh, in many ways, not only from a scientific point of view, but also in terms of the number and the quality of spin-offs that come from ETH Zurich. So if you would try to put in a nutshell, how does technology transfer work at ETH Zurich from, a from an organizational point of view, process point of view, and so on and so forth? Yes, I, let me let maybe put things a little bit in perspective. Um, we are a university, so we, we are educating people and we do fundamental research. So I, I think two very important aspects also in terms of, and I would not call it only technology, but also knowledge transfer. And uh, and if you look at, at this side, then of course the, the most important uh, uh, carriers of the of the new know-how and knowledge are of course the students. So ATI has about uh, 23,000 something students 
uh, very, again, extremely motivated people that bring all the know-how that they learn or they research at the, our institution into the uh, into the uh, great wide world. So I think that's by far the most uh, uh, important and, and effective uh, part of, of such tra transfer. Then the more structured way how we do it um, and where we also have our responsibility is uh, through collaboration with industry. Um, so technology that has, that has been developed, knowledge that has been developed at our institution, uh, bringing in context uh, of collaboration with, uh, with the existing companies. And uh, and then, of course, there is technology, which is, and, and that is one of the troubles that I think uh, all uh, fundamental research institutions have. The technologies or the, the results out of this research is of very early nature. And and to bring it to a point where it uh, serves, uh, you know, the industry, the economy at large, and the society uh, later on, um, uh, it needs to go through uh, certain steps, and uh, and you need a vehicle actually to kind of bring it to um, uh, to that point. Um, again, early technology that needs to be further developed, not in the sense of doing more research on it, but putting it on the development level. And that, of course, um, you know, you have to take it in in, in a different form. And and the, and the fantastic vehicle to do so is uh, or are startups. Because there you can combine fantastic, brilliant people with, uh, you know, cutting edge technology. And that's, uh, of course, a serious, uh, important ingredient, uh, risk capital. And uh, if you if you are able to kind of um, put together a uh, an environment where these three elements can, you know, meet and, uh, and uh, get going, then I think you have the magic formula to to create fantastic startups. So how do you decide upon and who decides that if you spin off a certain technology and when and through whatever vehicle you're doing that? I, I guess that's uh, historically a little bit of development. You know, on, on the one side, uh, we in, in the past, we always looked uh, uh, to the United States, to uh, USA, the you know, um, usual suspects, university, MIT, Stanford, Columbia, uh, Harvard, all, all these uh, uh, institutions where, uh, which produce a lot of startups. And, and of course, we thought that we want to have all, uh, also some of those. So we tried to kind of stimulate uh, people to kind of look at the, their technology. We looked at their technology and, and thought, okay, maybe, you know, we can find um, uh, a market need and maybe we find there's some kind of a business model that uh, you know helps us to kind of bring bring a solution to this market need with this uh, with this technology. But eventually, um, I, I guess it's all about people. And over the years, um, the the community has grown so much, and and there's uh, I wouldn't call it a hype, but there is a a lot of enthusiasm of people to kind of look at the things that they do in their labs uh, being during their, their study time or doing their you know phds or uh, postdoc uh, uh, times and uh, and see whether these things that they um, they research and, and the results out of these whether these can serve somehow the society and there's there's just an enormous drive nowadays uh, in not only in our institution but uh, you know in many many universities here in europe um, of young people that really say let's let's just change the world with the things that i that i have created uh, at the institution and in in that sense it has become a little bit a self-fulfilling prophecy you know the it's uh people are attracted uh, on the one side by uh, uh, this highly regarded uh, institution uh, where you can develop uh, and uh, where you can learn uh, you know fantastic things but you, where you can also develop uh, your own ideas and 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 then take that out uh, of this institution bring it to the market and and you know you get visibility and then and then again this this fantastic startup which was created by these people attract more even more motivated people come to the institution so it is like a spinning wheel that uh, turns ever faster that's a very interesting point do, do you see that this is a generational thing so really this new generation of researchers more looking for impact and they find that through maybe building a company around their technology and then being able to yeah to, to create a social societal impact um and and looking at your really huge amount of, of data points because the number of spin-offs, how many have you supported throughout the, the recent years? It's it's somewhere between four to 500 uh, over the last 20 years. Um, exactly. So ta taking those data points yeah. into account, 
what is really what motivates scientists to to pursue this career path to spin off a company as opposed to those who say like scientific excellence is still my thing and are rather up for staying at the lab uh y yes indeed there's uh, there's two sides to it and and uh, that also at, at sometimes it is a little bit a uh, not a problem, but maybe a challenge um, that that people that are more technically oriented and uh, do not uh, per se just bring about the the um, the business edge. You know, they they want to create a company, but still have one foot maybe back in the in the research area. Uh, and and the magic there is, you know, bring them together with the right people that have the the, the business uh, and that that are business savvy and actually. <laughs> You know, not only see the technology, but also the use of the technology in a product that serves a, a, a market. Um, so that is that is sometimes a challenge. But what what we see uh, in recent years is that that the young people have become very knowledgeable, not only in their technology, of course, that that they learn uh, about in in their studies or in their research, but also that they are more interested in getting business know-how. And this. Uh, from a private source, but also from uh, from uh, the the government supported programs uh, where we can join courses and learn all the the, the hows and whats and and uh, of uh, how to run a company. Uh, excellent programs, including programs that uh, take uh, selected selected people uh, uh, even abroad. Uh, it's a, it's a, for instance a, uh, a program called Venture Leaders that take uh, ten venture leaders <laughs> to uh, to different places. So they take 10 leaders to Shanghai, Beijing, so more China. They bring 10 people to the Boston area, to New York or to San Francisco. Fantastic program. So there's lots of things that, that you know, from the from the cradle or from the lab to the market uh, um, support the the uh, endeavor and the people that, that want to get, get engaged. There's maybe one thing that one has to be a little bit careful um, and that, you know, I, I, I don't like the word hype, but I, I mentioned it already once again. Not all technology are fit for a startup. Right. And, and we have to kind of be a little bit aware of uh, that uh, that we kind of look at the technology very carefully and and try at least to assess whether you know it it, it actually serves a purpose. Um, so when we it happens, uh, and I guess it's not only um, at, at our institution, but it happens that when we get uh, invention disclosures or software disclosures uh, to, to our table. And uh, of course, you go, you know, what what is it, and uh, what can it do, and so on. And then, how can we uh, transfer it out of the university? You you bet, you know, the when you have the uh, to tick off the boxes, certainly the one for startup is tick off first. So they, the people who are really looking forward to say, hey, I want to do, I want to do it myself. I mean, it's basically my, you know, in in quotation marks, it's, it's my technology that I want to kind of see um, uh, getting alive in the in the real world. So what are these boxes uh, that you've been talking about and the, basically the assessment criteria for you as the technology transfer officers to guide them into the right direction? Because I assume that you cannot dictate whether they are going to spin off this IP or not, but you, I think you have probably a lots of experience and you can give good adv advice to them. Absolutely. No, we, we actually, we don't want to stop anyone from uh, starting a company, of course. Uh, to the contrary, there's lots of programs inside uh, ETH Zurich where we actually foster uh, uh, especially people. It's, it's you know, we, I think we have to look at it from two sides. It's not only technology, that's our business from the tech transfer office. That's, you know, our task is, um, or our mandate is uh, getting technology out of the doors serving the industry and um, and uh, the society at large but uh, there is another another point to that which is equally important that that, it, that is fostering talents so yeah. you know it's people that are not only manage, uh, knowledgeable uh, about certain you know aspects of a technology um, uh, and bring some some know-how into into uh, the industry it's also about uh, you know bringing them to a point where they where they can think business because eventually I mean they enter the the um, the, the the working market uh, as a founder of a startup or in an existing company and I think it's equally important uh, to be uh, business oriented in a startup as it is to be business oriented 
uh, in a existing company. Understood. And, and another question for me would be now thinking about this business savvy young generation of highly skilled and, and trained uh, products or uh, whatever uh, young, young researchers. So, of course, at the end of the day, to some extent, they need to rely upon their, their professors as well uh, to let them really work on their spin-off and also to, to help them create probably the deal uh, for a spin-off and will come to the deal structures uh, maybe in a minute. But I'm wondering to what extent you feel like professors are facilitating this career path or hindering it uh, because sometimes at least from my understanding from some basic research organizations there's also this notion of whenever you spin off a company and you work on a commercialization this is like you lost the game for scientific excellence and then this is the the second option but the uh, less attractive I, a fantastic question torsten and i think it has changed over over the 20 years i'm i'm back in my institution uh, just quite quite a bit. Uh, when I when I was uh, entering uh, into the the, the laboratories uh, 20 years ago and uh, looked at uh, some of the research results uh, and uh, and uh, said, "Wow, look at this! We could you know we could bring it to the market and make money out of it." I was in one case at least literally put uh, back uh, you know, in front of the door and said, "Okay, that was it. Goodbye." Today's is very very different. I mean, it's it's much more that people knock at our doors and say, look, we have found these fantastic things. And uh, what do you think about, you know, can we patent it or is there, you know, can we start a company based on that? And then, of course, there's a process uh, involved with that. Now, with regard to the professors, uh, they give a tremendous support um, uh, to uh, to the young people. And I think there's, again, various motivations. On the one side, you know, they see um, they can actually uh, contribute something to the society with their technology they have developed not only uh, during one PhD but usually over 10-15 years of their research they have done um, here at ADH or at uh, in other places uh, as well. So and then also the professors are um, there also to educate their their youngsters and and, and uh, research fellows. And, and that is something, at least what I experience at uh, our institution, I'm, I'm very sure that it's all the same uh, in, in the other universities. It, it is one of the nicest things that you can see, that you can teach someone and then see that they excel what, what, what you have been able to do. And, uh, and I see um, a very, very strong support for the students uh, from, from our uh, professors at, uh, at ETH. There is, of course, then the other thing, and we maybe get to talk about that, and that is how are professors then involved in a, in a spin-off company? And um, But that's maybe, you know, the, the something that one has to look uh, a little bit in more detail. Um, and there's, of course, various forms and, uh, and ways how, how, how to do that. But can you talk a little bit about that and maybe a general policy that you have at ETH, how they can be involved? Yes, so I, I, I'm very happy that ATH uh, is a very liberal institution. So this, uh, I mean, you can arrange everything, um, provided that legally everything is correct and all the, the compliance uh, is uh, is uh, regarded and uh, and fulfilled. Um, but um, but uh, again, if, if that is all um, uh, taken care of, then there is a, a lot of things that you can do. Uh, including that professors can have shares in a company that come out of their lab. Now, uh, of course, there's, there's, you know, there are very different cases. Um, let's, let's take a, uh, one of the usual cases where um, one, maybe two, three, four, uh, team of four people, um, PhD students, postdocs, um, masters, uh, whoever, um, would like to start a company. And then of course, they are depending uh, on a technology that has to be licensed out of, uh, of the, the institution. And, uh, and of course, many times the, in the development of the technology, also the professor was very much involved. You know, sometimes it's their life work that they have done. And, uh, and then of course they see their baby getting out of the door and they of course they would kind of get uh, still a little bit attached to that and also i mean if there is an economic return to also profit a little bit uh, from that so ATH in fact allows um, their faculty to take shares in companies now if if the i think the the credo of our, our institution is i 
the ones that take the risk to start a company, they should be uh, in full charge. And uh, of course, uh, when you're in full command of a company, that means that you have uh, at least uh, 50% or more, actually more than 50, 51% and more um, of, uh, of the shares with, uh, of your company. And, uh, and uh, of course, when you go through financial rounds, uh, then you are diluted and you lose your voting rights and, uh, and you know, goes, goes, goes down and then you are not in command uh, uh, again pretty soon, depending on, on, on how it goes. Now, if, if you have a professor that takes 60% uh, right at the start, then and, and the professor cannot, well, in some cases they can, but usually on a regular basis, they cannot uh, take on a role within the company. Um, there is a possibility that they can be uh, advisors that, uh, that is open. Um, they can also be on the board of directors on the strategic level, but that has to be actually signed off by the president uh, of our institution. So it is very, very regulated uh, in that sense. But imagine you have somebody that holds 60% of your company and the rest uh, get, goes to the people that actually run the company. It's very hard for them actually to steer it. So um, that is why in these cases, uh, more people can only, all in all, at start of the company have 30%. That means 60 respectively, uh, 70% of the, sorry, 80% or respectively 70% of the company is with the founders at the start. And then, of course, the, the game changes when uh, investors come in and uh, and then you get diluted and then the setting is changed uh, quite a bit and the cap table looks a little bit different in a year or two or two years from now. But at least in the beginning, people are in charge. The, one, the ones are in charge that actually run the company and take the risk and uh, spend their lifetime maybe in, in, that, uh, in that company. There is exceptions to that uh, for instance if um, one two or three professors uh, want to start their own company with the technology they have developed but the, there are no students that actually would like to go into this company or another possibility is that happens actually um, not, not very often but uh, happen, started to increase to happen a little bit more that is that investors actually come to us and say look we have seen this professor at a conference and the fantastic technology and i think we can do something with it we will put together the management maybe a student also will also join from the lab so you know we have a transfer of the know-how as well but we would basically set up the company and in that case um we would uh, see that you know if, if the if the professor if the investors would like to have the um, the professors be involved and and, and uh, they would um, say yeah take 25 percent we are perfectly okay uh, when we start the company we wouldn't stand in the way uh, of course at Zurich will then also you know hold up the hand and say okay and how how many shares do we get but there is exceptions to that but by regulation it is uh, limited to 20 percent very clear answer and um so talking about this now and the deal structure already what does a VC need to have as a deal structure so to be able to invest in such a spin-off? And what are no-goes also sometimes? that? You yeah, I, I guess there's, uh, the investors as a, as a one party, but there's, of course, the, the students uh, or the professors that would like to start the company on the other side, although they are part of the part of the family you know uh, during these days when we negotiate they're maybe on the other side other side of the table and then um there's there's a lot of to say uh, to that um first of all it is difficult um to have something you know kind of a one size fits all approach there, there are universities that do that um uh, and uh, are have very narrow ranges um if you, if you look at ATH, we have 16 departments across all types of engineering sciences civil engineering uh materials uh, life science uh, you name it so it's 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 just across all almost all um in the industrial uh, verticals in these verticals technologies may have a very different role in each vertical um uh, and uh, and and you have to account for you know what 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 the technology is and with that i mean 
Um, if you take, for instance, uh, an ICT, well, if you, you have developed the software and the software uh, is actually already, you know, given to the community and, uh, you know, we have lots of projects and it's actually useful and, uh, and it's actually also used maybe by uh, certain pilots in the, in the industry. That means that when you start your own company now and uh, you license the software uh, as, an, uh, as an university to this, to this um, company, then the, the product needs to be maybe industrialized a little bit. So you need to kind of put it to industry, industry uh, standards, but it is very close to the market. And, and the question there is why, you know, what, what is the added value of the company? I know how much has to be invested, uh, what are the resources they have to put in, how, how, how much time does it take? And if, it, if, if you come to the conclusion that within one year they have the product uh, you know, completely you know, uh, ready in the, in the market, then you might take uh, a share in the company, uh, you might uh, um, ask for royalties that are a little bit, uh, the royalty rates are a little bit higher in. As opposed, if you have a life science startup uh, where you have uh, found uh, some molecules that in the test tube, you know, kill some bacteria or whatever, and uh, and uh, somebody says, okay, you know, that's good enough for me. I'm I have some crazy investors that uh, would uh, fi finance my startup, so let's do it now. That is a completely different thing because you're talking about ten whatever more years uh, of of heavy investment. We're talking tens of millions uh, in in the in uh, in a good case you know where until this product is in the market and you actually make a, a one day a dime you no know, so, so something like that and 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 then of course you know the risk that you take is is much much higher um it it, it is difficult to to my mind just to say oh you know it, regardless what technology it is it is one percent royalty and five uh, percent equity so we 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 made the um uh, the conclusion that at least we have to look a little bit um at uh, each case in an individual um, no, uh, form. That in return makes the process a little bit more tiresome because, uh, of course, the, the, uh, that's the downside, yeah. But it also tells you that there is flexibility. It's the same with the contract and the contract clauses. You know, we have standard uh, contracts uh, that, you know, the license agreement that we can basically put on, uh, on the table and say, look, this is it. We have uh, done that for a couple of hundred times and worked out pretty well. Um, and if you impose that to a startup, you will certainly have investors that are completely unhappy uh, for whatever reason and say, no, look, I'm not going to invest if this clause is set like this. I want to have to change this. In, and we're just recently in a case where an investor from the, you know, the Swiss-based person that, uh, however, has a, a long history uh, of successful um, entrepreneurial activities in the US, who, who sees it very differently. And I can understand that point. And then, of course, you you have to be able to sit down and uh, at the table and say, look, uh, I, we understand your point. So let's let's see how we can accommodate your concerns and and how you want to do it, and which still reflects the policies that we have at our institution. There is there is one point. If I you know, I don't want to become too lengthy, but there is one point uh, that we are really uh, now looking very carefully at because we also have to improve our processes. And there is two things to say. So I said. You cannot do one size fits all, but I guess there is a possibility where you can give ranges and and explain, you know, in in which case you will go rather to this side or to the other side, and and a little bit broadly said, it is about expectation management. And if you teach the people or explain very well, you know what what the standpoint of the university is, I think you can take a lot of heat out of the system. Um, you have to prepare very early on, so there is no surprises, and and maybe and uh, we have we're looking actually to the University of Zurich, so the State University just across the the, the street, and they did actually to my mind a, a, a very uh, intelligent thing. So they published. Um, guidelines how they look at technologies and they also gave ranges uh, and examples you know where where they would see royalty rates for certain cases they are very strong especially in life science oriented uh, startups and and their experience over the over the past years was very positive so it, it was kind of widely accepted that this is the base that we are you know which we are talking about it's it's much more transparent um, and then, and then you don't go into the negotiation uh, without having a clue what the other party wants. Um, 
So the improvement here is A, that it, the process is becoming more transparent because you are doing the expectation management upfront. And also, does it shorten the negoti negoti negotiation process? Uh, it, it, it should, and that's what, uh, what their experience is. It should shorten the, the uh, part because, you know, you have a base where you can talk about. Usually uh, today with us, it is, we, we are requesting um, a few things. We, you know, we, we uh, would look at a, the business idea, the business model, the, the, the business plan. We usually know the technology because uh, it has been patented or has been registered uh, at our office. Um, and then, of course, we would, we would we would also look at the team and the people um, because it's it's a risk for the university to bet on, on those people and eventually the people will make the business not the technology the people are the I, that i'm very convinced here they they are the ones that will you know make it successful or not um so you know we we do some checks and then based on the business plan and, and the financial plan they usually submit um what what they are up to and uh, where they think they can make money and when and 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 that's our base but you know business plans and financial plans are usually very speculative and depending who is the reader you kind of change the, the numbers a little bit um maybe be a little bit more hockey stick or a little bit less uh, when you talk about licenses um but uh, but that's the you know the things that that we're looking at as well as the technology technology readiness level all these type of things and and try to factor in uh, those type of things. Uh, it's 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 not a rocket science. It's kind of a, you know an experience thing. Um, you make comparisons with the existing industry and so on. But it's it's anyway always unfair for the other side. So you have to get uh, into into this uh, in, into these discussions. But having said that, I think. If upfront you have the possibility to set the stage and say, look, uh, according to what previous deals that we have done, and uh, and we have thankfully we have a very strong track record of uh, successful startups, so they were not killed because of the license deal. Uh, we have absolutely no intention to to put the license deal in a way that they would be killed financially. You know, uh, that, that that doesn't help anyone neither the startup of course neither the investor and certainly not the university i mean we don't get any returns when they are killed and the reputation also suffers so there is i think we are all in one boat and that's why um i i think the 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 track record that we have at our institution is 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 quite good also because if if there is a problem and there was maybe three four times when we had startups coming back to our office and said look um, we are in dire straits we cannot we you know we have the minimum annual fees that we would have to pay but you know can you waive them can you postpone them whatever and, and there was never ever a, a no so we always try, i mean again what would be our interest that they go belly up doesn't really make sense so there's always a door open where we would uh, rediscuss but the point that you raised is as a startup you have to be fast and in the beginning um you know we are losing still too much time in this in these uh, negotiations and uh, i'm not saying that we are always the bad guys but we are also adding to the complexity of of the whole thing and and what we what do you think that we that we at least should try is to look uh, how can we make it un better understood more transparent um you know manage the expectations uh, on each side um then i think we can save time and uh, and also focus on the on the real stuff because the license i mean it's 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 not the, the thing that you should focus on it you should focus on customers product selling stuff uh, bringing up the business and so on love this mindset but one follow-up question is like I understand your point regarding standards, and it's pretty hard uh, given the range of technologies that you refer to to set those standards. But given um, the experience that already the right expectation management and and maybe defining ranges for royalties and equity, for for example, already helps the process. Could you imagine a future where there's more like an algorithm where you put in some variables, and at the end of the day, you get your final licensing contract and deal structure? Is that something you could imagine? I, uh, that, this is a fantastic uh, question, Torsten. I actually I, I take that question uh, with me. We, we have ATI um, Zurich has set up a uh, AI center just recently, and the director Alexander Ilich, he's uh, he's actually a former ATI spin-off um, founder. 
so he understands all these processes and has, has suffered through our processes. Um, so he is very close to the um, to the AI activities at ATH. He embraces about a hundred professorial chairs, and you know, there's a lot of things ongoing. Um, fantastic idea! We should try it out. I don't know whether it works. One thing, however, that I uh, what I would just as a as a uh, belief, uh, let's put it this way: tech transfer is a people's business. Uh, you can, have, of course, have uh, algorithms that you know. You know, you push the button and uh, and uh, and then you go to your your printer and you, and you get uh, uh, you know the the deal, the license, uh, the license agreement, and then you sign it and all done. Um, but it's that's I think it's not that's not all of it um, because usually it turns out. Uh, I mean, we are talking always about patent and software, but but tech transfer is much more than that. There is know-how, there is data, there is experiences, uh, drawings, there is. Um, things that you have to talk about, um, you know, things that are not on paper where you need the exchange. And I hardly have ever, uh, ever seen a startup coming out of ATH, uh, spin-off, um, you know, as we call them when they went through the qualifying process. Um, they always stay in very close contact. Uh, well, always, m most of them, 99.9%. Um, they, they stay in close contact with the research lab they came from. Because it's, I mean, they're using the, the same technology for different purposes, of course, uh, and the technology will be further developed in the institution. And 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 you know, there's people working on those technologies. So you you have talents that maybe join the company later on. You have collaborations ongoing, and there's a fantastic program in in Switzerland. Uh, which uh, supports collaboration between small companies, small medium-sized companies, and uh, academic institution. So the uh, institution that supports the program is called InnoSwiss. They have over 100 million Swiss francs available per year to support such collaborations. It's just you know fantastic means to kind of be used to to uh, foster your to foster and, and and grow your your company. So the money doesn't go to the company, but it goes to the academic institution, which then in collaboration with the with the uh, a uh, small or medium-sized company, the startup, um, uh, works together, you know, and then, of course, the technology can be transferred again. So there's lots of ties, anyways, that go much beyond the license agreement, and hopefully so, because if, you, if you're talking about high-tech startups, this is tremendously difficult to, to kind of grow such a company to a point where it's, you know, a very solid um enterprise not to speak that uh, that they uh, uh, go uh, ipo or so um that's just it's a, a tremendous effort and if you if you don't help in the beginning it's just uh, I, I guess close to impossible to really get off the ground and speed is just of utmost importance nowadays which brings me to the next question here, because those startups, th this is a long journey. It starts in the lab with sometimes years or decades of research. Uh, then, and this is the process we touched upon now for a couple of minutes, is the process of building the spin-off and to set the foundation and the basis for whatever happens afterwards. But what do you see as decisive for growing and making it a successful startup? And what actually would you define as a success for any of those, those startups? What what is what is what is crucial here, and also because you you said like um, the people make it. Who are those people? What are their basic characteristics who actually make those startups a success? You're really posing very tough questions, uh, but but again, the, the 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 statement is people make it or break it. Uh, I'm I'm very com convinced about that. You can have a fantastic technology, and we've seen that. And if you don't have the right people, then of course. Um, that uh, you know, it simply doesn't happen. Um, so I, I, I guess, how shall I put that? I, I think we are in the very fortunate uh, uh, situation at ETH Zurich that we attract really brilliant people. They are already brilliant, and they will be even sharpened during the studies and education, and come up with really, you know, that they are just uh, knife sharp guys with uh, brilliant minds. And, and uh, um, I, I think what one of the prerequisites um, should be the mindset of, uh, you know, this is the research part. If I want to kind of go into business, I, I, I you know, I have to kind of switch my perspective um, on the one side. And on the other side, I'm not the one who knows everything. I, you know, there's lots of other people that I have to add to the team. 
and and uh, if that is not given i think then i would be looking a little bit more critical to that person of course there are the strong persons and i want to be the ceo and of course uh, you know uh, at, at least in the beginning that that might uh, or is often uh, often the case but um you know sometime in the in the life of a startup uh, you also have to recognize that maybe different um qualities are needed not in a negative scene, uh, sense uh, different qualities but you know you you cannot be doing everything so you have to be open and and also at times maybe step down and uh, since you are more technically savvy uh, maybe you will become the cto and and leave uh, the um, the business development uh, and and, and uh, running to a coo or a ceo that uh, does that on a professional basis that's you know that that uh, and you know that very well comes up anyways when when professional investors come in um because they will you know risk capital as so a venture capitalist they 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 invest because they want to make money out of that and they they will make sure that you know the people running the the the, um, the uh, startup are in the position to grow the company to a point where it can be sold or again go uh, to a stock exchange or, or whatever so they you know they I don't think there is any any doubt uh, when when they start to invest, and uh, they will only invest when when they when they are sure that, uh, that the team is there. I, I'm sure investors in, invest in teams, and uh, and uh, if if not already there, they will make sure that uh, the the right people come in. Sometimes a little bit more successfully, and sometimes a bit less successfully. But um, certainly, they will not just stand there and and look at it. Well, that's the nature of any startup or innovation. You never know in advance. And in hindsight, of course, you can understand what happened and why it happened. <laughs> right. It's always very easy. Yeah. But I, I, you know, we have to be careful. I, I was uh, wrong, and I admit that uh, quite a few times with with the people because people can develop we we had um, a successful startup that was actually to my mind um, uh, sold a little bit too early but when they i mean this person came to uh, to our office i don't disclose the name and, uh, but anyway so they, they they were successful so the success gives them all the rights but i thought oh what a sleeping pill uh, that will never fly and uh, and then and then <laughs> About two months later, we got the business plan. I have never seen anything like that. Really, it just, you know, it all made a lot of sense, a lot of sense, things that I haven't seen. Uh, and, and then suddenly uh, it opened up my mind and said, wow, this is, this is fantastic. You know, we should do that. And they created the company. It turns out that actually the business plan was not written by the, the, uh, the techie, so not the person from ATH, but uh, he teamed up actually with someone from a, 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 the economic university, the Heiske Hochschule St. Gallen. Um, so he had a friend there, and actually this guy wrote this plan. Uh, they wrote it together. You know, the technical part was was his. But the the guy from from the Heiske, he was very business savvy. Um, actually, he was a former student. He didn't come right from the university. He served a um, a platform which actually educated people to become entrepreneurs for quite some time. I just a brilliant story uh, to make it short that they set up the company and uh, only a couple of years later they actually sold it successfully in the US. I mean whether and now maybe coming back to the to the questions that you raised, what is a success? That is another tough question. Now, uh, for an investor, of course, a success is uh, when he invests money and then can multiply it. Uh, uh, hopefully in, in, in very short time. What is the success of a university? Um, I think when talents are successful, uh, you know, the institution was successful because it educated the people in the right form so they could contribute to society in that form. That's our mandate. On the other side, if the technology was important to do so, then, you know, the research uh, that uh, where a lot of money is invested from our government, you know, we are very generously supported. Um, all in all, we have a budget of about 1.8, 1.9 billion Swiss francs per year. Uh, uh, the, the biggest part comes from from government, so taxpayer. Uh, we are very grateful for that. But they they have the right to see that uh, that there is also given been given something back to society and that is of course uh, very nice but then comes the reputational part and and it is just it is just very nice to see um, when you have the people that formerly studied at uni university started a company based on the research result that they came up with and then they very successfully run a business be it uh, becoming 
a um, a company that grows to a couple of hundred people and still remains in private hands, or um, in a case like Sincerion, Ublocks, uh, and others, um, uh, uh, you know, get get to the stock exchange and are, are traded publicly. Uh, so that that is certainly something. You know, there's different edges. If you if you look from a economic perspective or from a national economic perspective, uh, of course, what we want to help with um, these uh, activities is that these companies can grow in Switzerland, producing jobs, um, setting up subsidiaries in, in Europe, hopefully, because we're sitting here all on the same continent, and and uh, and and also bring us forward and and being technology uh, leaders. I think that's that's a super important. Um, uh, mentioning this uh, here, so we are not losing too much of the race between you know the other big players in the, in this world, and uh, and that is I, I think one of the of the things that we have to uh, make sure um, that the the economic impact also I mean it, it will not all economic impact will be remaining in Switzerland we are too small as a market and of course you go usually to Germany, uh, rest of Europe, and then you know usually overseas, um, uh, mostly to the, towards the US. And of course, you do the business there, and you grow your business there, and you create jobs there. But that's equally important. Um, but uh, if you can still you know kind of create very solid companies um, here with lots of jobs, and uh, and also kind of create jobs for you know, the future students that come out of the of the institution. And I think we have done our jobs. We have made, uh, we were uh, having people um, outside of ETH doing studies on on, uh, on those impacts, looking how many jobs were created over the, the last years and, the, you know, how much turnover they made, how much tax actually they paid and so on. And, and it, it just takes time. I think uh, when you look from the political aspect, people usually look at... Um, at the university, say, hey, you you're using much too much money, and uh, you know what what is the outcome that, of all this? And uh, and uh, you know we see those and those universities that uh, produce tons of startups and uh, go IPO and uh, produce something for the economy and so on. And uh, I think the also this we ha one has to be uh, one has to put in a perspective uh, of a, of a time frame. We started 20 years ago. We had usually about five to ten startups. Today we we are somewhere between 25, 30 startups, uh, spin-offs, I have to mention, uh, because we, again, we have this quality uh, label, uh, uh, which we give to certain startups that come out. But there are other uh, uh, startups that don't have this label, not because they are not, not good, but they they didn't fulfill completely the requirements. So there are many students creating a startup, but don't use the technology from ATH, but still are you know supported by ATH in some form. Uh, but we don't add them to the statistics. Maybe we'll do that in the future because it's also an added value that that uh, is brought by the institution to these uh, startups. But but anyways, I, I don't want to make it uh, too long. Um, but I, but I think that's that that is an important aspect um, uh, about the impact. Very clear. And we are already running out of time. And I think uh, I could listen to to all your experiences for hours. But but maybe a final question, maybe a, maybe a short short answer to that. Um, what are the you personally? What are the most exciting technology trends and the fields where you are hoping for more spin-offs? Oh yeah, there's there's I mean lots of lots of things to say um but I, there is of course um and i don't want to make it a, a hype again but um anything that has to do with uh, artificial intelligence one has to be a bit careful because you know ai can serve uh, at, in some parts uh, quite well and, and in others it's just a marketing thing but ai is 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 a, is a big thing cybersecurity is a is a big thing um at ATH there was uh, a new highly secured um uh, internet um uh, developed. It's called Cyan. Um, I think uh, one can uh, talk about that. It, uh, it has been disclosed in the newspaper. So the national Swiss, the Swiss National Bank has actually implemented that. Uh, the uh, the ETH domain has implemented that. It's just uh, I don't want to go into details here, but uh, if you want uh, the listeners to uh, our podcast, look up Cyan. That's uh, a fantastic new technology that that comes up. Quantum computing. 
is is of course uh, a big a big bet. But I, I mean, if you look in the 50s or 60s when you had uh, the um, semiconductor coming up and and and, and uh, transistors where you have like uh, I don't know these squares uh, I don't know 10 centimeters on 10 centimeters and you had whatever um, two four eight transistors on there and, and nowadays where you have on a on a square millimeter literally hundreds of uh, of uh, hundred millions of of those um, uh, transistors. Um, you know, and I don't think that anybody has uh, would have been able to predict that. And I, I guess if I if I go to our labs uh, and and look at the quantum computers uh, uh, or the, the pieces of quantum computers they developed there, and and you see these these plates and you see oh there is a qubit here and a qubit there and you know it's microscopically basically visible, and 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 you say and you say look uh, I I don't know but but if it, the same happens what happens in the in the semiconductor industry. Wow, then then we'll be seeing quite some changes. Um, so there is there is and that's, that's not nothing magic. There's a lot of I mean there's magic in the technology of course, but uh, as as topics there's nothing magic. There's lots of of uh, research institutions, universities working on the in those fields. But there's other challenges in the world. Um, uh, energy, uh, the whole climate discussion, and there's lots of technologies uh, that are developed helping to 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 uh, kind of get these these challenges sorted out. Uh, that, that would be another podcast that we would need to talk about. But there's a lot of activities uh, uh, around us, but also at our institution, where there's a lot of effort done, a lot of money spent to find solutions uh, to our current problem. That's great to hear. And I'm very confident that the ETH, Zurich, and also your spin-offs will contribute to solving those big, big issues and challenges that we all face together uh, as society. Perfect. Um, Silvio, thank you very much for taking the time to, to answering all my questions, although some may be uh, some tough ones, but uh, well, you managed that perfectly. Uh, very clear answers. So thank you very much for your time. It was a pleasure. It was a great pleasure on my side, Thorsten. Uh, very good to see you. And thank you. Thanks a lot uh, for having me here. Hope to see you soon again. Perfect. Have a great day. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you.